Okay, I guess you get the long version tonight because he prayed so shortly. <sighs> I bet you all know about creation science, don't you? Everybody knows everything. Boy, I can hardly see up here. It's so bright. You all see me fine, but I can't see you very well. At any rate, in uh, January 1980, I was living in Italy, and uh, after about a year of studying some of the pro-Christianity types of things uh, given me by my boss who witnessed to me and who I thought was an idiot at first. Um, after about a year, I finally succumbed and I woke up one cold January morning in 1980 and said, okay, Lord, I believe. And uh, something changed. It's hard to put your finger on it, but I felt something changed at that moment. And I turned from an atheist evolutionist to a Christian creationist in a second. And if you believe that, no, it didn't happen that way. Did it happen that way with you? I became a Christian. I believed that Jesus died for my sins. And just believing in God was really hard for me. I mean, all my education said, no, it's not true. And that was tough for me to believe. Anybody have that experience? It was hard for me. Anyway, all I had in those days was the chapel, and they were all evolutionists. Uh, none of the people were creationists that I knew. All we had were the Stars and Stripes. You know about the Stars and Stripes, folks? It's a, a military newspaper you have over there. And at that time, they were reporting on these creationists making trouble in the United States, and they were making a shame for, uh, it was a shame because they were uh, embarrassing the real Christians. And that's the way I thought of creationists at that time, that, that was, it was shameful to have them around, and I was embarrassed. And I didn't know any of them. Anyway, in, um, the Air Force saw fit to send me to uh, University of Michigan the next year. Sorry, Ohio State fans. And uh, that was in um, September 1981, and that was the first time in 40 years that Wisconsin beat Michigan. And that was a big time. I was really unpopular on campus for a while because Wisconsin's my undergraduate college. At any rate, I was walking through uh, downtown Ann Arbor. I went to the Logos bookstore and I saw this book called Scientific Creationism. Let's see, where's my slide thing? Now, let's back up a second. Uh, maybe I better turn this on. You know, Elon Musk wants to go to Mars. I'll tell you what, you're not going to get to Mars unless you design a very nice spaceship and you defy the second law of thermodynamics. You cannot do it unless you do those two things. And still you're going to get there and you're going to find a place that's not as good to live in as our Earth. Correct? And if I was young, maybe I'd like to try that again, but right now I think I'll stay right here. I have no desire to go to Mars. So, went through the Logos bookstore and I find this book. It's not working. Flip the next slide there. Is anybody back there? I guess I'm too far away. It worked for a while. There we go. I got that book. And uh, I put it in a brown paper bag because things that you were ashamed of in those days you put in brown paper bags so no one could see what you were reading. <laughs> Some of you people know what I'm talking about. And I went back to the school and I quickly put it inside my briefcase and closed it because while they were, I didn't want anybody to see I had that book. I just didn't want to see. And that night I went home. Uh, I was single in those days. I had my pork chop and my can of uh, corn and I started reading this book. And it was like scales fell from my eyes. And I realized I'd been duped all these years. People will tell you that, sci that sci the scientists will all say that evolution is a fact. And it's not. What it is is storytelling. So, we're going to talk about the basics of creation science tonight. Come on. But before we get into that, you know there are only two worldviews, right? If you can give me a third worldview, I'll certainly listen. But either 
God's always existed or matter's always existed. Those are the only two choices. And uh, evolution for some people is like a faith. And we're talking about the atheists now. Uh, there's a quote from 77. You say, oh, it's kind of dated, but it's really what they believed then. I can show you quotes from 1920s. I can show you quotes from this period that we have. But the theory of evolution, it says, forms a satisfactory faith on which to base our interpretation of nature. And um, I've met Dwayne Gish. You ever heard of him? He used to debate the evolutionists, and um, he'd make a mockery of them sometimes because they couldn't answer his, his solid science. And Dwayne Gish said of evolutionists, they're just like Christians. The Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. But when it came to evolution, they say, Darwin said it. I believe it. That settles it. And they can get hostile if their worldview is challenged. I've got three college degrees. I'm not bragging. Any of you could have gotten three college degrees. You just keep working and putting one foot in front of the other. But uh, there are some people in some universities that want to take away my degrees because I've become a creationist. That's a fact. And um, Oh, thank you. And this is a quote from Isaac Asimov. Anybody ever hear him? He was actually a biochemist at uh, New York. And uh, he said the following, with creationism in the saddle, American science will wither. We'll raise a generation of ignoramuses, ill-equipped to run the industry of tomorrow, much less to generate the new advances of the days after tomorrow. Now, Isaac Asimov is dead, but I trust if he had a toothache, he wouldn't mind me seeing me but he would consider me an ignoramus today. But that's, this is a common view. They have a lot of hostility toward creation and Christians and stuff like that. But I'm here to tell you that origins has nothing to do with creating something. Nothing to do with producing the science that you always think of where you experiment, you, you come up with a theory, you experiment, you test it, and you, maybe you have a great idea. I went and looked just for the heck of it and found out where most of the patents are made. Are they made from universities and these research departments and these evolutionary uh, indoctrination centers? No. You know who most patents come from? People, just like you and me. They get a great idea. They work in their basement and in their garage, and they develop it. And, and second most is corporations. Corporations hire people to develop things so they can beat their competition doesn't come from the universities. That doesn't mean that good ideas don't come from universities. That doesn't mean that the patents don't come from I'm just saying that it doesn't always. And Isaac Asimov is totally wrong because producing science has nothing to do with evolution. And the people that came up with the scientific method, well, they weren't atheists. They were all Christians, every single one of them. And yet, we're accused of being unscientific. And that hostility has not changed Let's get this next slide up. Let's see if I can do it. <clears throat> this is about the Creation Museum that's up in uh, uh, up near Cincinnati, the Queen City. Anybody ever been there? Yeah. Pretty lousy place, isn't it? Gee whiz. Uh, said the so-called Creation Museum is an institutionalization of a lie. They really believe that. They really believe that. Uh, let's drop down a line or so. It's not about religion. It's about scientific fraud. They're accusing creationists of being fraudulent in our ideas. The next one. Uh, after a rejection by the scientific community and the courts, the religious right has spent $27 million. It's our money. What's your problem? On the disinformation campaign that lies to children about how our Earth species evolved. This systematic undermining of science education has dangerous consequences for our nation's future. Never mind that history tells them if they look at history, the scientific method came from Christians. The early scientists were all Christians, every single one of them. And they're going to say, we're going to undermine it? Well, that's why they want your children, folks. And they, they go to those indoctrination centers called public schools and public universities and they teach them things that are contrary to the Christian faith and contrary to logic as well. So 
I'll give you one example of, of that, although there are many examples of uh, anti-Christian bias and anti-creationist bias. Here's one. We'll go back to the quote from Isaac Asimov. And anybody here ever have an MRI? You know, they used to do a lot of exploratory surgery. Let's see what's wrong with you. They'd open up your guts and they'd look around. Oh, there's nothing there. They'd close you back up. And you were six weeks in pain. But with the MRI, they can look inside your tissues using magnetic resonance. The guy that invented the concept and invented it and developed the machine was a Christian creationist named Damadian. He's, he's passed now. But the Nobel Prize for the MRI machine was given to two evolutionists, not him that created it. Okay, how about that? You didn't know that, did you? He was denied the Nobel Prize. So, of course, that's, that's academia for you. And uh, I have to tell you that I don't always think that much of academia. Uh, but the thing is, the church has bought it too. When you have all those distinguished scientists with all those PhDs behind them telling you that something is a fact, and you don't know anything about geology, anthropology, paleontology, you're not an expert in any of those things, biochemistry and the rest, you tend to accept their opinions. And unfortunately, they've adjusted biblical doctrine to fit it. But it's not true. And does it mean that these people, the, the day-agers and the gap theorists and the, and the theistic evolutionists and the progressive creationists, are, are they all wrong? Yes, they're all wrong. Does it mean they're not Christians? No, they're Christians. They're just not consistent. They're just not consistent. And they make excuses like the Genesis is a book of poetry. It's not. It's a book of history. It's prose. Anyway, can you trust the scientists? I'm going through this. They just accused us of promoting lies and fraud. Let's look at who really does the fraud. Why am I doing this? I'm just trying to set the table so you can see really what's going on in this world. Can you trust the scientists? Usually especially if they're trying to make a better widget. But if they're going back into the past, how do you test the past? Mm, a little harder, isn't it? You have to have history. Someone's got to tell you about it. Anyway, there are exceptions. You can't always trust the scientists. And it's usually due to greed. Greed for money, power, influence, fame. Remember Dr. Fauci? He just retired. He was the highest paid civil servant in our government. 700 and some thousand dollars a year that man got. <clears throat> he claimed to be following the science, didn't he? How many times did he say that? I'm just following the science. And how many times did he flip-flop on that science? And science means knowledge. That's all it means. Does knowledge change? Does truth change? Does it change from week to week, month to month, day to day? No. Truth is truth. Anyway, here's another quote. Rev evolution, a theory universally accepted, not only because it can be proved biologically, excuse me, not because it can be proved by logically coherent evidence to be true, but because the only alternative special creation is clearly unbelievable. I, incredible, I just changed it. And that's from DMS Watson from 1929. Uh, can anybody name me any possible frauds that scientists have done to promote evolution? You're seeing them up there, aren't you? Nebraska man, Piltdown man, Java man. The man that found Java, Eugene Dubois, found it in Java, and he hid the bones under his house for decades because if he, they'd have found it, they'd have found he had an orangutan scale and a jawbone of a human. He just mixed them up. He lied. Remember the embryology? I was taught this all the time. Ontogeny recapitulates phylogeny. Don't worry, I'm not going to test you on it. It just means that uh, our embryos, as they went through development, become a human baby. You, you went through all your evolutionary stages. And they lied about that, too. They redrew all the pictures so they looked like evolution is true, and it's totally false. Totally false. And he was convicted in court on it, believe it or not. Anyway, how about our CDC guidelines? <sighs> We've lived with COVID for two and, two and some years. The people that would listen to me, I was a colonel in the Air Force. Am I still a colonel? 
I retired for so many years, it's ridiculous. I got to meet these people as a dentist in the Air Force. I met some of these infection control people, and I never met one I could trust. I remember sitting down with the infection control officer of the Air Force, and this is a guy I've been out to dinner with several times. I thought we were on a very friendly terms, and I said, Shannon, I'm not going to say his last name, say his last name. I said, um, you know, some of the things you're requiring us to do are outside of the, CD, uh, the OSHA guidelines, and this and that and this and that is really contraindicated. And he said, yes, you're right, but you're going to do it my way anyway. That's a confidence builder, isn't it? He admitted that I was following the science, and he said, I don't care, you're going to do it my way. Isn't that what Dr. Fauci said? You're going to do it my way. Isn't that what the CDC said? You can go on the CDC website and you can find all kinds of papers that contradict everything that they required of you. And they're, they published them. They don't follow their own science. Anyway, um, Dr. Robert Malone, who, who helped develop the messenger RNA technology for the vaccines, and he's very against these vaccines, very, very much against them. He said, so at a minimum, the effectiveness in preventing the hospitalization and death does not appear to be aligned with the official policy position. That's not what they told you a couple of years ago, was it? It's a shocker. Just last week, the top Biden doctor went out and came out in public and said, masks don't work. I knew that all along. Why did I know that? There was a CDC paper published in 2020 in May that said masks don't work. And what did they do? They made you wear masks. Oh, well. So who's telling the lies? Okay. You ever read these books? All books on fraud and science. Most of the frauds in science are committed by physicians. I hate to tell you that. That's because there's a lot of money in drugs. Almost nobody remembers back in 1973 or so, there was a doctor named Summerline. He was painting the mice so they looked like they, the treatment was working for the cancer. He was painting them with a little brush. Okay? He got caught. No one knows about Margaret Mead and her paleo, I mean her anthropology lying about what was happening in Samoa. And yet generations accepted her works as true. Can you trust the scientists? Are they people? Are they people? They're people. What do people do? Remember what David said? I said, in my despair, all men are liars. God didn't say that, but David did. Psalm 12. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases, for the faithful fail from among the sons of men. They speak vanity with one, everyone with his neighbor. That's lying, by the way. And with flattering lips and with a double heart they speak. And then last verse, I really like this one. The wicked strut about on every side when vileness is exalted among the sons of men. Do we not have vileness exalted among the sons of men in this society today? If you don't believe me. So who do you trust? I think it's better to put trust in the Lord than in man. I will put my trust in God and not in the scientists who time and time again have committed frauds, misrepresentations to promote and indoctrinate our children in their worldview, and me too. i uh, got the papers here on frauds in science. If anybody wants to read them, you can find them on the web. 36% of doctoral and postdoctoral students were aware of scientific misconduct. 15% were willing to do whatever it took to get published and get ahead. That's the, those are the ones that admitted it. 51% of scientists knew of fraudulent projects. Trust us. We're the scientists. We know what's best for you. That's why I like what Ken Ham said. Oops, come on. Next slide. You ever heard this quote? It's not a question of whether one is biased or not. It's really a question of which bias is the best bias or which to be biased. I am biased for the Lord. Okay? So what's the, what are the basics of creation science? I think we went too far. There you go. These are easy to remember. Just remember the first two. You can get the other ones later. Design, second law of thermodynamics. And even among creationists, the second law of thermodynamics is falling into disfavor. I do not think it should be. 
and I'm going to promote it. The Basics of Creation Science. You can get these books. This Creation Basics and Beyond. It's brand new from Institute for Creation Research. It is not the basics. It's a bunch of... It doesn't even have an index. It's a bunch of papers, probably from Acts and Facts, that they just threw together and put a good, in a good book. I have not found a good recent book on creation. I, I'm sorry to believe. They used to have a good one called What is Creation Science? But... Um, this is really a disappointment. It's, it's got good stuff in it. It's got good stuff in it on human evolution and stuff like that. But what good is a book like that without an index? It's kind of hard to find the, what you want. I was really disappointed. At any rate, so that's why I'm giving you the basics. This is really easy. Design. All right. By the way, if you get all this stuff I'm telling you and you go debate a, a, an evolutionist, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Are you going to change his mind? No. You're better off just asking him, why do you believe in evolution? Can you show me any concrete evidences of it occurring or that it actually occurred in the past? And let them show you. They won't be able to, but let them try. Introduce a little doubt in their mind. And, uh, and you can talk to them about some of these basics as well. But anyway... Design is what we should, next slide, design is what we should always start with because that's what God started with. Romans 1.20, you've heard of it. Living systems. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power in Godhead, so they are without excuse. What is God challenging mankind with here? Can you make it? Can you make it? Can you make this beautiful world? He's challenging humankind. You've heard that old joke that Pastor told a a few months ago. The atheist says to God, hey, we can make life from dirt just like you. And, uh, of course, even if they could, they're only copying what God did. And, by the way, they haven't even come close to it. And God says, oh, yeah, the scientist says, yeah. And God says, show me. And the scientist starts to gather some dirt. And he's starting to work on the dirt. God interrupted and said, stop, get your own dirt. <laughs> get your own dirt. God created out of nothing. Evolutionists haven't even begun. They have no idea how life started. They have no idea. The cell wall is, oh, forget it. It's just too difficult. And if you ever watch those nature programs, have you ever heard them? You go to nature and you go to public, PBS, uh, you know, public broadcasting and uh, the Discovery Channel and you'll hear them talk about the miracle of evolution. What hypocrites. They don't even believe in miracles. Just saying. They don't even believe in miracles. And you say, in every moment there's room for emergence, for something new. Is that storytelling or truth? Well, there is, there's always something new that can happen, I know. Anyway, by the feathers are an example of creation. And they would tell you that uh, they found fossils with half feathers and stuff. It's just decayed skin. It's not feathers. It's a bunch of baloney. Um, here's another one. I love this one. I actually did find this. And you can go look this up. Look up six fascinating parts of your body that prove the miracle of evolution. And uh, go to images and you'll find these things. And uh, the number one was, number one, the thing that's going to prove human evolution is wisdom teeth. They shouldn't, have, they shouldn't have stepped across that line, I'll tell you that. And they have this picture in there with it. There are no wisdom teeth in this picture. <laughs> and they're the experts? They're storytellers. Yeah. Anyway, th- they say that the problem with wisdom teeth is, is a problem uh, of, of evolution and vestigial organs. I'm here to tell you that wisdom teeth are not vestigial organs. Those are things left over from your evolutionary past that aren't needed anymore. Uh, I lived six years in Italy, and most Italians that I treated have wisdom teeth. They're fine, thank you very much. 
That's because they marry people the same size as them. Here in America, we're a melting pot. You got a big guy like him, and you marries a small girl like her, you can get, not that you, you know, forget it, you know, it's just an example, all right? You can get children with small jaws and big teeth, and they don't fit. It's a genetic mismatch, not evolution. Okay? And some people are born without their wisdom. Oh, it's an example of evolution. No, you just lost a gene. That is degradation, not evolution. Okay. I just love these things. When you start looking at the details, it's so fatal. All right. I'm going to give you an example of a design. Uh, Mike, how long did you stand upright without your heart beating? Not long at all. How long are you going to live without a heart? The evolutionists claim that we went from a three-chambered reptilian heart, and some reptiles have four chambers. We went from a three-chambered reptilian heart to a four-chambered mammalian heart. Over millions of years, and natural processes just did that all on its own. And um, I'll tell you what, our life hangs on a thread. If our heart starts beating, stops beating, we are done. We drop immediately. We don't stay upright very long. You're gone. And uh, that's just the way it is. So no one has ever come up with any mechanism or even any transitional forms for how you could go and have all the hookups that you need to have all your heart work. They oversimplify things. I mean, that looks pretty simple, doesn't it? This is actually the kind of stuff I had in my embryo, uh, uh, what was it, my course on comparative vertebrate and anatomy. I had a senior in college at Wisconsin. And I was totally convinced they were right. They just drew these kind of diagrams. You know, it didn't look that difficult, does it? But that's really not how it is. It's much more difficult than that. They, they haven't given you all the vessels. And certainly they haven't given you the nerves. You've got to have the complete system to work, otherwise you're dead. How are you going to do it? All right, come on. Went ahead. Okay, there we go. <clears throat> Don't forget, you've got to add Purkinje fibers to it. And you guys all know what Purkinje fibers are, don't you? Anyway, the heart is something else. You know, just a few statistics. It's the size of a human fist, pumps 2,000 gallons of blood a day and through 60,000 miles of blood vessels. That's enough to go around the earth two and a half times. And uh, over the course of a human lifetime, it beats over 2 billion times and pumps over 100 million gallons of blood. It, it is all functioning with a carefully balanced system of vessels, tubes, chambers, and nerves. How are you going to go from a three-chambered heart to a four-chambered heart with a three-and-a-half-chambered heart? What's good at getting the fourth ventricle if you don't have the hookups for it? That's not going to work. You have to have the whole system functioning or you're just going to die. They just state this as fact, but they can't prove anything on it. Okay, that's just one example of uh, design. You can remember that one, can't you? The human heart. How are you going to go from a three-chambered heart to a four-chambered heart without dying? You got seconds to make it go. Seconds. And if you don't do it right, you're dead. Any transitional form is dead. Oh well. Second law of thermodynamics. One of my favorites. Heat death. The universe is headed for a heat death. It's the same thing as you see in the come on, come on, come on. Oh wait, we'll we'll get to that slide. Some of the creationists are kind of abandoning this view, but I don't. And it's because it's biblical. It is biblical. The second law of thermodynamics. Just remember that. Let's read the last one in Hebrews. And thou, O Lord, in the beginning thou hast laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they shall all wax old as doth a garment. All around us, don't we see things falling apart? If you leave your car in the garage, the tires get flat. What, why do the tires get flat? Because the air molecules are going to go through that rubber. You can't stop it. Now, oh, let's go on. 
the uh, second law came about 1824, I believe it was. Anyway, you ever got in a nice hot tub and you're enjoying it and you got a book and you're, you're reading it and in 20 minutes it starts getting colder and colder and colder and colder. The second law of thermodynamics is based on that principle. Everything goes from heat to cold. You can never go to cold to heat unless you put energy into it. You cannot do it. And uh, jokingly, physicists used to talk about something called Maxwell's demon. Ever heard of Maxwell's demon? Maxwell's demon was a little demon that could go through and collect all the, uh, if in this room, he'd go up and collect all the hot air molecules and he'd just gather them in a little bag and he'd have something to be burning hot and everything was to be cold. That doesn't happen, does it? You can never go from cold to hot. You always go from hot to cold. And it came, uh, and that's, uh, it has to do also with the efficiency of engines. That's why you can't have a perpetual motion machine. And that's why no machine can be 100% efficient. You know what the efficiency of piston engines is? Actually, I looked it up a, a week or so ago, but I've forgotten the number. I mean, the most efficient piston engine is around 40%, I think. I, I probably am wrong about that. The rest of it's all heat. The, the stuff that's transformed to energy to make your wheels spin. And they work really hard to make them more efficient. You cannot reach 100% efficiency. It cannot be done. That's the second law of thermodynamics, folks. And uh, All right. And the second law of thermodynamics can only be reversed if your mom tells you to clean your room. You gotta, to reverse the second law of thermodynamics, you gotta put work into it and energy and something else. Intelligence. It's gotta be guided. That's why it talks about creation. God talks about things wearing out. That's what we see, isn't it? Things wear out. They fall apart. Now, some of the creationists Anyway, if evolution is true, now this is, a, I was thinking of it in terms of a procreation type of evidence, but if evolution is true, shouldn't things be getting better in our world? Are they? Okay. And uh, I shouldn't have used this slide because I'd had to define entropy and stuff like that. Anyway, let's just say if, if evolution is true, things should be getting better and better and better. And that's not what we see in the, in the, in the earth, it's not what we see in the heavens, it's not what we see in chemical reactions, it's not what we see in anything. The evolutionists argue that that's only in a closed system versus an open system. I don't care if you have an open system or a closed system. The second law still applies because God put it in there. And the only way to reverse it is through an open system with energy, work, and intelligence. It's the only way to reverse it. So, all observations in our world show decline. So if you want to believe this, you can just go right ahead and believe it. Okay? I'm not going to. All right. This is what one of the creations. I was wondering why you couldn't find it. You cannot find anything on the second law in this book. I was very disappointed. You can't find anything on it. I did find a quote on the Answers in Genesis site, and he said, not unfortunately, this is the quote. Uh, here you go. Not all discussions of the second law of thermodynamics and biological evolution from a creation perspective has been as well thought out and presented as they ought to have been. Yeah, some people, they, they look at a building that's falling apart and they say it's second law of thermodynamics. And the evolutionists say, no, it's just weather. And it's, well, it's still the same thing. So perhaps we did over overuse uh, that a little bit just for humor. But look what he says. Says the problem for creationists is that we have yet to generate a rigorously formulated entropy, entropy as a measure of disorder, uh, based hypothesis that clearly shows that life cannot arise through natural undirected processes. That's totally bogus. They're the ones that say that we have to uh, that life arose from non-life. They need to show us how that's done. Why do we have to talk about it? We. We've got lots of evidence that it can't be done, and we could quote the evolutionists up the kazoo saying they themselves say we can't figure it out. We don't know how life arose from non-life. Anyway, um, 
in this uh, next slide, I say, I think we have proven that life cannot arise from non-life. Many evolutionists agree we have no, they have no answer to abiogenesis. That's life from non-life, yet state that it occurred. They just state it occurred. They come up with plausible stories. There's a warm little pond. Oh, there, were clay, there was clay for some catalyst, and, and uh, it never happened. They can't prove it. If it really did happen, why can't they do it? Why can't they do it? They can't do it. Anyway, the reason I don't think that we creationists should abandon the second law of thermodynamics just because we get, a, get accused of misusing it sometimes is because there are things in this world that nobody can figure out. That's why they have CERN. You heard of CERN over in Switzerland, that big nuclear colliding plant they have that goes in a big circle? Um, they're trying to figure out the gut theory called the grand unifying theory. And they're trying to figure out how the, the small electromagnetic thing fits with gravity and, and all. You know what I'm saying? With all our equations that describe gravity, all our equations that describe how to use electricity and know our knowledge of electricity and our knowledge of magnetism and our equations, we still don't know how it occurs. We can measure it, we can use it, we can even define it, but nobody knows why it's there. That's why the scientists are desperate to find the grand unifying theory that they can put it all together. They aren't going to find it because it's in the Bible. All right. Did I go? All right. Are you changing slides too far? I think so. Bring me back. Go backwards. Okay, stop, stop, stop. There you go. Did, did the second law of thermodynamics exist in the original creation? Yes, it did. I believe it did anyway. That's why he said that in Hebrews. They shall perish, but they will all wax old as a garment. So how could Adam and Eve live forever? Well, I'll tell you how. You can still have the second law of thermodynamics. And guess what? The Bible says God, Jesus, holds everything together. In him, all things consist. In thing, He's the grand unifying theory, guys. Of course, they aren't going to accept that. God has an answer. He is the grand unifying theory. For by him all things were created. He is before all things, and by all him all things consist. That's King James. I looked at the NASV. NASV he said, he's before all things, and all things in him all things hold together. So, if God wanted Adam and Eve to live forever, as he originally planned, no problem. He would just keep making sure that our DNA would never have errors and they would always replicate properly. That's one of the reasons we grow old. Nobody knows why we grow old, but God is part of the curse. But one of the, the thoughts is that our DNA is not quite reproducing as well as it should. And we start having little errors in it. Anyway. Next slide. No, oh, that's too far. Too far. Go back. Man, you can push those buttons good. Oh, keep going. There you go. God can do anything with the second law he wants to, and the curse is the second law of thermodynamics gone crazy. It, he made it worse. That's what I think. Well, that's why I, as a creationist, don't want to give up on the second law of thermodynamics. Because they have nothing. They have nothing. They can't put their theories together, so why are we having to put a theory together for entropy? Nobody can explain that. Why do things go from hot to cold? We don't know. We just know it happened. But knowing it happens doesn't explain the why, does it? Anyway, the next basic of creation science is the worldwide flood. Did the flood happen? Yes, it did. Here we go. This is what Ken Ham said. Hey, if there was a worldwide flood, what would you expect to see? How about billions of dead things buried in sediment all over the world? And that's what you find. That's what you find. It shows incompletely formed, excuse, it forms complete, 
Sometimes I have trouble speaking. It shows completely formed creatures while evolution demands intermediate creatures, half creatures, quarter creatures, three quarter creatures. The fossil record is not a record of development, it's a record of death. It's not a record of, uh, of evolution, it's a, rec a record of extinction. It's things getting worse and worse. Okay. Jesus believed in the worldwide flood. If you believe Jesus died for your sins, well, if he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me, but you don't believe this saying of Jesus, well, how can you believe one and not the other? For as in the days that were before the flood, he believed in the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, etc., etc., etc. Just saying, Jesus believed in the flood. And most evolutionists that are Christians do not believe in a worldwide flood. I think they're wrong. If the flood really occurred, do you think we'd have a history of it? Just saying. How about over 200 flood legends in the world? Flip, next slide. One button at a time, please. There you go. I've got this book, and I actually got to meet uh, Miss Nelson once. That was in 1987, got to meet her. She lived in China for many years as a missionary to China before they kicked her out. And she used to study the oracle bones, the old, old Chinese language before, and pictograms. And uh, it's just kind of fun. Their word for a boat was a vessel with eight people. What was Noah's Ark? A vessel with eight people. And these are from the oldest Chinese pictographs that existed. So if the flood existed, wouldn't people remember it? I think so. All right. All right, most people say if they believe in evolution, they believe in evolution due to the record for human evolution. One more slide, please. Thank you. Now, this is a good book. This is Contested Bones. I've got this if anybody wants to look at it. Um, I just got it this week. I haven't read all of it. But uh, I used to teach the, the creationist thing on human evolution but I'm a little behind with Ada and some of the other new fossils that have come along. And they'll come along every once in a while and they'll say, we found the, the human intermediary and they've dug him up and they've got a big picture and a big history on him and they show him how he walked and the food they ate and all kinds of stuff. And it's all just a story. Just wait a few years, maybe in a, as short as a couple of months, some other evolutionists will debunk it. There hasn't been one that's been supported by all the evolutionists. They always debunk each other. And that's because they all want their own time in the, of fame, the 15 minutes of fame. There isn't, they don't have any right now that haven't been debunked by themselves. So all you got to do is say to them, uh, why don't you go look at the evidence and go see what they say about it. There are no, there, as of right now, except for storytelling, they have no intermediate forms that lead to the humans. They have none. And... Um, and this is part of design, I suppose we could put it in there. The genetic research has really crippled them in the last 40 years. It started with the book called um, uh, Evolution, A Theory and Crisis by Michael Denton. That was about 86. And, but he didn't have access to the genetic knowledge that we have these days. And by the way, the genetic knowledge that we have is so much more complicated than what you learned when you were kids in school. It's not one gene, A, B, a and B, and a Punnett box, that stuff. They're finding that these things are so pleiotropic that the genes go across the big spectrum and they affect all kinds of things. You change one gene, you change a whole bunch of stuff. The genetic code is so much more complicated than we thought it was 40 years ago. It is so complicated. And remember they used to tell us that humans and chimp had 98% similar DNA? Totally bogus. Totally bogus. Now they're saying it's 86%. That's too big a gap. Too big a gap. And uh, we're, we're probably closer to the fish than those. At any rate, it's totally untrue. The genetic research is killing human evolution as far as I'm concerned. Okay, what's the other one? Oh, I'm running out of time. Sorry, I talk too much. 
uh, we're going to talk about time. You know, there's evidence for sudden creation in the polonium radial halos. There's evidence that God created the basement rocks and solidified them immediately. Or we wouldn't have these little, these little things called polonium radial halos in the basement rocks. It speaks of an instantaneous creation. I can take you to the Dead Sea, and I was going to. The de- you, you could only slow down some processes so much. For the Dead Sea to have all the tons of salt that it has, and it's formed by the, uh, the only place going into it is the Jordan River, it would have to be cleaner than distilled water. There's, if it was millions of years old, it'd be flowing with distilled water, and you'd still have too much salt. Things you can't slow down enough. And um, how about this? You go up to Birmingham, you'll see the cuts for the road, right? You look at the rock layers, and you'll see them twisted. They're made out of limestone, right? You've seen those, haven't you? Haven't you gone up there and seen them? You pay attention. You'll see these layers going like this. They're all twisted. You could do that with granite, because granite flows. You can go to um, tombstones of old England. You know, they've been a thousand years old. They're starting to droop a little bit. You know, they made them nice and square, but it's granite's more of a glass type thing. It'll flow, but not limestone. You put it under pressure, deformation, it crumbles. I'm a dentist. I know these things. I deal with limestone all the time. It's called stone and plaster and stuff like that. Okay? You cannot deform that stuff. It doesn't matter what time you've got. So... All those layers that are all folded had to be folded before they were set. Okay? Not millions of years of slowly moving up. and No, they had to be moved up quickly while they were still muddy and soft, and then they set. Interesting. Evidence for a younger earth. Uh, short time frames. I did have another one up there. I guess we don't have time. Collagen degradation and soft tissue. They've got all these fossils. They never looked for they never looked for soft tissue in the fossils they found. They started looking and they're finding it everywhere. Collagen, which is what makes up your skin and all that stuff, has a um, degradation time. What is it called? If you had an isotope, what do you call it? Isotope, what do you call it? Um, forgetting the name. At any rate, I'll think of it sooner or later. Talking way too much. I'm going to remember the word or I'm going to find it. It's decay. It has got a decay rate. And uh, the collagen decay rate, you can't have... You can't have soft tissue inside these bones and have them 65 million years old. It cannot happen. It cannot exist. And some of the other things that they found in soft tissue isn't just collagen. Some of it's red blood cells. Those things flip apart right away. I mean, we're talking about days, not years. There's some processes you cannot slow down enough to accommodate millions or billions of years. So evolution isn't true. Creation is true. So I hope that you've learned a little something. Um, I'm sorry to keep you so long. I did have some more, but um, that's the way it goes. Thank you for coming. Any questions? I thought he didn't have enough material. Hello.
I certainly think that that's a possibility. But he still cons- controls all things and holds all things together. But I, part of the curse is I think he's withdrawn some of that. So it's worse than it was. How do I know? There's no way to quantify that. I have no real answer for it. I just know that the second law exists and creation has got to be true because even in human life forms, we've degraded through the years. Um, what do we have over... We said 20 years ago we had over 2,000 different genetic disorders. We've got far more than that now. Uh, Adam and Eve were created perfectly. People used to live 1,000 years before the flood. Do you know that their history, the Roman history says that it's common knowledge at that time, back 2,000 years ago, that people used to live in a golden age 1,000 years or more. And that's what they said. And if you look at the post-flood patriarchs, uh, you know, the children of, of, of Noah, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, and all those, it follows an asymptotic curve as you ch- chart all their things down to 70 years, which is about the lifespan of today. It's kind of interesting. It's a mathematical curve. How'd those old ancient Hebrews manage to figure that out? Unless it was true. Unless it was true. Anyway, I'm talking way too much. Um, I guess we got it. You're dismissed, I guess. Thank you. <laughs>